every social professional and age group protested against Lukashenko. And wow. that's how we were able to show it, right? And this, again, this information helped others to rise up. The regime now is doing uh, several things. So, of course, they ban both media, um, but also regarding this Telegram and other social platforms, they announce them as extremists. Mm. And people, if they are subscribed to them, they can be jailed. Wow. For so, subscribing to a Telegram channel, they'll put you in jail. They cannot ban Telegram channels, mm -hmm. right? Because it's very expensive, it's hard, it's technology, it can be circumvented and so on. So they introduced this uh, well, trick idea, let's mm -hmm. put it this way, uh, that if you are su subscribed to this, we will, we will just jail you. We will, you know, you will go to, to prison. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start uh, a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Hannah Lubakova, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hello. It's wonderful to have you here. Great uh, to be on. Great, great to have you on. We're in Oslo for the Oslo Freedom Forum in 2023. Um, freedom fighters from all over the world coming to this event to help amplify the message of human freedom, of which you are one of the speakers, um, and just by way of quick introduction you are an exiled belarusian journalist um and a participant in the belarusian revolution of 2020 maybe we get to start there with your life story um how did you get to here what, what's happened in your life since 2020 to here 
we would need to start earlier, but maybe now I will explain what happened in 2020. Okay. So it was COVID, and people were so pissed off with Lukashenko, the dictator of Belarus, who has been in power since 1994. He ignored COVID completely, and he even laughed, mocked at people who died, who got infected mm. and died. And that was also the year of the election, presidential election that we had in August 2020. And people got so mobilized for also many other reasons, because, well, Lukashenko has been in power for so long. The economy is, um, this. the level of the economy is decreasing. Uh, there were so many reasons why people were angry. So they went out to the streets and they protested against Lukashenko. Mm. And we had the largest protests in the history of modern Belarus. Mm. There were hundreds of thousands of people all over the country, not only in the capital, in Minsk, but all over the country. And Belarus is um, is a country of nine and a half million. So this is, you know, quite quite a big number. Yes. And it continued for weeks and they covered it. But then the regime uh, immediately, immediately started arresting people. So in the first several days, uh, actually, there were like every day, 300 people, 3,000 people arrested 1,000 people arrested. So the number was so large and the repressions were so brutal and so harsh. People were even raped in prisons. So um, Lukashenko has been able to suppress this mass protests, open protests on the streets, but it does not mean that the revolution is over because it continues. It just continues in the underground in a different form. And my job since 2020 is to talk about what happened back then, uh, speak about journalists, my friends who are in jail, and explain what is happening right now in Belarus. Wow. What what was the pretense given for jailing these people? Is it, they're just, they're, they're journalists being thrown in jail. Is there any pretense as to why they're being thrown in jail? Or is it that just the law? You can throw people in jail for talking. Uh, definitely that's, uh, well, the regime says that, well, we don't really care much now about the law. They say it openly uh, and they arrest uh, everyone. They arrest people who press the like button on Facebook, who wow. comment, who really? um, spread information, who speak out, who who do even like small things, it seems. We have this national colors of Belarus, white and red. Mm. So people were literally arrested for having socks in white and red colors. So imagine the scale of it. Journalists are usually arrested on the basis of extremism. Mm -hmm. they're, they're being announced as extremists, terrorists. I myself face 12 years in jail if I, if I go back to Belarus. The regime placed me on the wanted list to make me a target. And they say that I attempted to seize power. So perhaps I'm the only journalist in the world who attempted to seize power. <laughs> wow. Um, we take it for granted, I think, in the West, the freedom of speech. Uh, it's under attack today significantly through a lot of digital censorship. There's also a lot of weird cultural Marxism sort of infecting the West with this idea of wokeism and all of this, like attacking language and, and whatnot. But I, I think w when you get to the point where you can't wear certain colors, like that's where taking away the freedom of speech goes is that you, you end up in a political situation where wearing certain colors is illegal and a jailable offense. Um, has, has Belarus 
ever respected the freedom of speech or is this something that's been a constant throughout your life? Like what, what was it like, I guess, growing up? I, did you grow up there first of all? And what was it like? Uh, if so. So I was only five when Alexander Lukashenko was elected. It was in 1994. And he immediately took control over the media, parliament, courts, whatever independent system you are supposed to have in the country. And the next year when he got elected, it was the first and the last free election in Belarus. After that, he rigged every other voting that mm -hmm. we had. So the next year after that, we had uh, already censorship established. We like didn't have newspapers that would publish independent information. So independent media went, hmm, I wouldn't say underground, but they started, they couldn't get any support from the state um, because everything was otherwise controlled, mm. right? Freedom of speech is in our constitution, but mm. it's not respected. Mm. So that's another issue, right? It might be a law, but if it's not respected, it just doesn't work. Sure. And I became a journalist after 2010. My first degree is something else. I'm an art historian originally. Okay. Um, but then I was, uh, we had yet another revolution in Belarus in 2010. So we had like years, decades of, of, of protesting. Um, and I started elsewhere abroad. And I remember that we had like the full train of Belarusian students studying abroad who were coming back to Minsk, to the capital to participate in those protests. I was very young. And um, and then, yeah, we were on the streets protesting against the regime. Against the regime, And then we were brutally dispersed yet again. Uh, and then I understood that perhaps I should do more. Yeah. And uh, that more for me was actually to become a journalist. So this is how I got involved. I started working for this only independent television channel, Belsa TV. So it's based in Warsaw in Poland, in a neighboring country to Belarus. And we have been reporting from there. So basically throughout the entire career, um, my entire journalism, I never was able to report freely from Belarus. Whenever I would travel there, they would prevent me from working. They would arrest me. And so on. So this is so this was always the case. Nevertheless, throughout all these years, the mission that I have, that I feel that I have, only grew. And I understand now how important free media is for Belarus because now in the situation of the war against Ukraine, Belarus is a co-aggressor in the war because of the regime. Mm -hmm. They help Putin in every way possible. So we need to spread truthful and objective information about the war so people understand what's happening. Mm. And because of media blackout in Belarus, it's really hard. But I see how much resilience people have. We So they, the regime banned basically the majority, like most actually, of independent media. There are at least uh, like two, 3,000 internet resources that have been banned. So you imagine the scale of it. You wouldn't have like any, I don't know, Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, the Guardian, like any media you wouldn't have in Belarus, like you just don't have access to those. But uh, people use VPN. People try to circumvent censorship in every way possible. Those who cannot use VPN, like my mom, um, people just spread self-made newspapers, like leaflets wow. across the country. They yeah. print them and then they spread those. It's incredible. And it just shows you how despite all these years, like basically decades of the oppressive system, People are still willing to get information, and they have not given up. Yes, no, that's that's beautiful. I, um, there's the saying people often share that information wants to be free, 
And you mentioned too, when um, Lukashenko came to power, that the first thing he did was seize the media apparatus, right? You want, because if you're a dictator and you're going to control people through fear and lies and deception, you need to control the flow of information to the best extent that you can. Um, but obviously that's becoming much more difficult now in the digital age. So when you say media blackout and he's blacking out these mainstream media channels, I imagine people started to go, and you mentioned the VPNs and whatnot, digital tools became much more relevant in that scenario. So how, how was that cat and mouse game playing out when, as Lukashenko tries to black out or control media, how were people responding with, with making use of digital tools and technologies? So the revolution of 2020 uh, is usually called as a telegram revolution because okay. we use telegram a lot. Huh. This though became really important uh, because it's uh, difficult for the regime to track there, even though they're able to do that. It's not that safe though, uh, but still it's very widespread. I think there is also a lot of uh, like uh, romanticizing Telegram because mm -hmm. it's used, the dissidents use it and so on. So it became really popular in the past years in Belarus. And in, in 2020, literally everyone had Telegram. And... First, it was to spread information, so people wanted to see what was happening, not only because they were politically involved, but also because it was the source of safety and security for them. Mm -hmm. So even if someone was not interested in the election, in protests, but they needed to get home, and they needed to know where the protests were happening, right. because otherwise they wouldn't be able to, right. uh, to get there. So we had some Telegram channels growing to like 2 million of subscribers. Wow. Belarus is a country of nine and a half million. Again, this is a lot. And that was just one Telegram channel. Imagine, so it was like so widespread. Um, so so people were interested and you could see like how they were, you know, trying to get this information and so on. This technology also had another really important meaning. It was a platform for expressing your discontent mm -hmm. and people saw how many of them were. Mm. So it was like snowball mobilization. You see that in this small town, people went, go out, protest. You see that there they protest. In Minsk, the capital, they protest, mm -hmm. and you want to join. Mm -hmm. So the more we published information, the more people wanted to join, so it grew. So that was another, another really important, I think, uh, role that the technology and generally information and media played. Um, and it also showed, I think, to the entire population that because for years, the regime tries to atomize the society, to divide people, mm -hmm. to force them to hide, you know, at their homes. But finally, thanks to media, thanks to information and technology, they, they saw that people in regions are against Lukashenko, people in the capital are against, students are against, pensioners are against, workers are against, mm -hmm. tech communities against. So everybody, every social, professional and age group protested against Lukashenko. And wow. that's how we were able to show it, right? And this, again, this information helped others to rise up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. 
The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. The regime now is doing uh, several things. So, of course, they ban both media, um, but also regarding this Telegram and other social platforms, they announce them as extremists. Mm. And people, if they are subscribed to them, they can be jailed. Wow. For so, subscribing to a Telegram channel, they'll put you in jail. They cannot ban Telegram channels, mm -hmm. right? Because it's very expensive, it's hard, it's technology, it can be circumvented and so on. So they introduced this uh, whole trick idea, let's mm -hmm. put it this way, uh, that if you are su subscribed to this, we will, we will just jail you. We will, you know, you will go to, to prison. And they also check it because they have like the entire surveillance system. We still have the KGB in Belarus. Really? Wow. Yes, it's the only country that has the KGB. Uh, even Russians renamed it. But to Ahasbe, right? So we have, yeah, we have, we have the KGB. So I guess Mr. Lukashenko is from the KGB. Oh, he was not. He was actually, he is, uh, well, he's a former farmer director. Mm. Just an interesting background. But he, um, he kind of, yeah, he, he, he himself actually controls the KGB. So if the KGB reports to someone, this would be Lukashenko himself. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, so there are departments in the KGB that work on that, like they literally are employed to spy on citizens uh, digitally, but also physically, of course, right? Um, and this is a totalitarian state, mm -hmm. so they are able to do that, mm -hmm. and unfortunately. Um, but they also, what they do is like more, um, a, bit, a bit different, I guess, thing. So they can just stop you on the street, ask you to unlock the phone, and then they can check it. But people are also very creative. So, as I mentioned, we use VPN a lot, we use some other means, but we also have this partisan telegram that Belarusians developed. Uh -huh. So, it doesn't look like a telegram app, it's something else, uh -huh. they're not able to get it, okay. but this is how people also communicate. But again, this is not very inclusive because older people cannot use users, sure. they just don't know how to use it. So, uh, so it doesn't really like affect and help everyone, but this is also helpful. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. It it's crazy when you stop to think about it like that. Like there are people employed inside of the KGB to spend their time 
investigating other people and what channels they have subscribed to to receive information. Like, th is there a bigger waste of human effort on Earth? It's like people just are just tuning in to information to learn about something, and you have to hire an entire police state apparatus to try and prevent that information from flowing. Um, it, it just, I don't know, it, it, when, it, when you frame it like that, it's so obviously self-destructive and um, just really bad for the human enterprise, right? The fact that you're going to have people policing other people's information content. Obviously, that's not going to work in the long run. It will not. Uh, of course, as of now, they're able to suppress mm -hmm. the dissent and they're able to suppress people. Um, but yeah, if the regime only stays in power because of violence, mm -hmm. then of course, for how long this will last? Right. This can last for years, right? Because they have the support of Russia. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully Russia will be defeated in Ukraine and Putin will be weak weakened mm -hmm. and Lukashenko will be weakened naturally. Mm -hmm. So this might open up a window of opportunity for another wave of revolution or another wave of protest. Mm. That's one thing. Another thing, um, Lukashenko also understands that he lost people's support. This is why we have this level of repressions in Belarus. And I mentioned uh, 2020. So now we have, so just imagine, so we will have 1,000 and 500 political prisoners. These are people whose names we know, so the actual number is much higher. Mm -hmm. Since 2020, 60,000 people have gone through prison. So this is like a population of a, I don't know, small town somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in, in like every day now, even now, three years after the revolution, 17 people ha like are being arrested daily. Wow. This is how the regime is scared of people, right? right? And this is like, we, we have this information from human rights defenders. So this is checked, but actually the, the, the number might be higher because these are the cases we know about right. and we are able to confirm. And again, they have resources for now, but for how long, right? And I think that also shows you fear and how scared they are of people and how actually they, the level you know, they understand yes. that they lost. Right. That's why, like, they are trying to suppress. Yes, yeah, it's it's an act of desperation, yes. right? Yeah, mind-boggling. Um, okay, you mentioned so Belarusian pro, um, revolution in 2010 and in 2020. Yeah, so a decade apart. You mentioned or used the term "brutal dispersion of protesters." Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? What what does that mean exactly? How how are the protesters uh, disbanded? Sure. So, um, so now some of these images are going to be quite, I think, distressing, um, and some facts will be quite, uh, quite distressing as well. So, um, people were beaten on the streets, of course. Um, the detainees were raped with police batons, and there are cases that have been confirmed as well and reported to the UN. There is torture. People die in jail. Um, protesters were also beaten to death on the streets. The police used flash grenades to maim protesters, to maim people. I was lucky. I think I, um, that's not the issue of being arrested. That's actually the issue of well, surviving. Like I was in some of the dan most dangerous places back in 2020. And, um, I saw, I saw it. Wow. Well, um, yeah, hard to hear. Um, how how did it feel to be there at that time and 
where did you summon the courage within yourself to continue fighting the fight that you're still fighting today? I was scared and I am scared. Mm. Um, I was scared in 2020, of course. And this is, this fear is very hard to kind of live through, you know, because you know that anything can happen. And in 2010, I knew that I might be arrested. Somehow I was not arrested exactly on that day, uh, on that day of, of the protests, of the election, uh, even though all my friends were arrested. I even planned the next like two weeks in jail. Like I thought that I might be detained for like a short term um, because it was still, so the situation was never good, but I think 2020 is really brutal and bloody, even comparing to the previous years. It's just so incredibly devastating what happened back then and has been happening. Um, I remember that in August, you have the summer, right? You have like sunny days. And it was the night of the election and I had to run a lot from, from the police. And I remember I was telling my friends that, oh, I feel like really fit right now. And we were all running. It was like all, all about that. And when you wake up and you, like in the morning and then you walk and this is like the sunny day and you remember the dark night previously, blood, you know, shooting, arrests. It was like so dark. And then the next, you know, day is sunny and people go to work. And then you're like, did it really happen? But then I remember I was also on the bus, like I was going somewhere. And uh, there was the, the, the news, like we had, our internet was shut down, so you, you could not use it, the internet. Mm-hmm. You could not call for a taxi, you could not call a friend, everything, the lines were busy, no internet, no cards, you couldn't even use cards, right? So that oh. was like, so everything was shut down, like the internet didn't didn't exist mm. uh, throughout basically three days, mm. for, for three days in Belarus. And then they would switch it off like every Sunday. And yeah, and then uh, and then we listened to the radio on a bus because otherwise you could not get the news in, in, yeah. in another way. And everybody got so silent. And I remember this moment. And when you think that nobody cared, apart from those people on the streets, you understand how wrong you are, how wrong you were, because people were literally listening to this. And then, yeah, and then after these dark days, uh, we had uh, like weeks, we had several months of protests because people saw how the regime reacted and it didn't scare people. Well, it scared, of course, as us as human beings, but people got, got even angrier. And this is how even more people went out to the streets yeah. in the next days. So it right. only grew. And that was really powerful. But then, of course, with time, the regime, you know, was 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 able to suppress mm-hmm. the wave of protest back then. Um, now, I think, um, well, I know that I'm a target. I know that mm-hmm. they follow me. I know that they know where I am. Um, and, um, I don't self-censor my work because I think it's unfair to those people in jail. Mm. This is my friend, Katerina Andreeva, Mm. and she's a journalist. She's my good friend. She was sentenced first to two years and later she was sentenced again and she, she now has a, an eight year sentence. She was sentenced for high treason Mm. because she's a journalist. So... She's in jail. How can I be tired? How can I be scared? How can I leave not doing anything? I I I can't not do this, I think. I have to do it, right? I have to help them. Another friend of mine slit his wrists 
to protest against inhumane conditions in jail. He was in a hunger strike for more than 40 days, and then he refused water. And they sent him to a punishment cell for that, and he had to clean the floor, and he wanted to drink water from that bucket because he was so he was in a dry hunger strike mm-hmm. after that. And now for the past three months, I have not heard from him. I don't know whether he's still alive. So when you know this, like we wake up every day and this is the first thought that you have, is he, is she alive? Mm-hmm. And they are your friends. This is not, they are not just numbers, yeah. right? This is not like 1,500 political prisoners. They're actual people I know. Yeah. Wow. That's um, terrible. Um. So you're, you're here at Oslo, you're speaking at the Oslo Freedom Forum, you're sharing this story, um, and you, I think you gave a keynote today, right? What was that talk about? It was exactly about that. Um, I actually, I spoke about Ihar's daughter. So Ihar Wosik, blogger, he was sentenced to 15 years in jail. He's my friend as well. And he has a daughter. She was only two when he was arrested. And eight months ago, pa- Paulina, the daughter, Paulina's mother, Daria, Iher's wife, was also arrested. So the girl just doesn't have parents at the moment. They're in jail. So I spoke about this. I explained um, the level of repressions in general. I, I explained what it means. I also talked about another blogger who died last last month because he was arrested for posting a cartoon of Lukashenko. And he was uh, sentenced to just one year, but he was um, had the real problems with his heart. And despite that, he was sentenced. The judge prosecutor knew that he is uh, in a really bad health and they still sent him to jail. He died just last month. Um, then I spoke about my experience. I spoke about this wanted list, this search wa- warrant that I have. What it means for me, um, it means that I, mm, I don't know if I'm going to go back because I don't know whether my country will exist. Right. Now we have Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus. We have Russian troops in Belarus. This is creeping annexation. So the independence of my country is at risk. Mm. I spoke about uh, my family is from Ukraine, so we are actually coming from Ukraine. And last year, Russian missiles attacked the city of Nizhen. Mm. This is a Ukrainian city where my grandparents' house is. And they attacked it from Belarus. So the country of like where my history, my family is from, was attacked from from, from my current country where I have a citizenship of. So this is so painfully interconnected. And then I talked about the entire history, how Belarusians protested in the 90s. And after that, that this is not just a random revolution of 2020, that actually Belarusians have been fighting for their freedom for decades. And I've been a witness of, to that. Um, and I, my high school was shut down when I was 14. So... That's when I think I understood what injustice means and what the regime represents. Um, so yeah, since then, that's actually longer again. Uh, you asked in the beginning about like how it all started for me. So it started actually back then yeah. 
with my high school, I think. And we launched um, our own underground school. And like our our high school was shut down because we spoke Belarusian instead of Russian. We have two official languages, but Lukashenko never liked Belarusian. Um, and then he shut down, the regime shut down the school and we launched our own underground school. So we started in apartments. Um, so, so yeah, and then uh, I also talked about what the world can do to help. It is basically three things, sanctions, pressure, justice, tribunal for Lukashenko, and solidarity, support for civil society, uh, support for political prisoners, help us preserve institutions that will rebuild the country later. Mm. Beautiful. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Freedom in the West, I don't know, I guess it's come to be something we almost take for granted. And it's this romantic ideal. And we talk about how the United States was born in a similar circumstance, right? Rebelling against a tyrant. Um, but what you're describing is like much more where the battle lines for freedom exist currently for human beings. And it's in these totalitarian governments that, that people are being actively suppressed for talking, writing, writing, drawing cartoons, whatever, like basic acts of human expression are being deemed acts of high treason. I think, as you said, you mentioned the three things we can do, but what is it like, how more fundamentally like the human spirit is, what do we need to fix in ourselves to overcome this? Like we keep repeating this pattern across history. What is the, like, what is the big fix to that? How do we, how do we deal with this dark side of humanity in an optimal way? Do you think, is it, do we just have to keep fighting this fight forever? Is this just the way human history is always going to be? Or is there some way for us to, course correct oh i think for sure if we are not vigilant then it will uh come back and i'm sure you know this even in the states yeah yeah so we should care right we should 
see the first signs. We cannot ignore this because eventually if you give a dictator, a tyrant, someone who wants power, who loves power an inch, Mm -hmm. they will take a mile. Yeah. So do see these signs, right? And do fight for this and do like appreciate what you have. Um, because yeah, it can be taken away and you will just, it can be taken away in five years and can be taken away in one year, but you know, it, it's a gradual process often, but like they are going into that direction. So ignoring this is, is wrong. Yeah. The second thing I think is that even though the US or like other continents, you know, seem too far away, you know, what's happening in Europe, should we care or not? Well, there is no far away conflict. And there is no faraway land. We are all connected. Mm-hmm. Be it economy or resources that we sell, mm-hmm. or um, you see how the how the war in, against Ukraine affects food security. Of course, yeah. Um, so we are all connected. Yeah. And even if you live in a free society or more free society, it doesn't mean that you will not be affected. So you should care. And I think. Well, this understanding of like how powerful we are as humans is also important because we think that only governments can make a difference or journalists or media or, you know, human rights defenders. No, actually, we as people can do this as well. And that's why I also ask people in the audience today to befriend their political prisoner, to write them letters, to send them postcards, right? Because this is how you can help just one person. But the massive scale of it, if it's going to be massive, can make a difference, right? So like any person can make a difference by doing something. And you know this saying that um, for evil to survive, a good person... Good men have to stand by and do nothing. Yes. So I know that it's cliche, but I think it's it's so true. I think it's so true. Yeah, so so do care and do not ignore and just help. And act, right? Yeah, do something, right. Um, Yeah, that one resonates a lot with me too because I see... I get a lot of messages from people that say, you know, thank you for everything you're doing. I'm glad you're talking out about Bitcoin and yeah. uh, the evils of the state. I could never do that because I'm in job A, B, or C, and I'm scared that my boss or, you know, there's always some fear complex that they're grateful that I'm speaking mm-hmm. out, but they they themselves are scared to do it. And I don't like getting that message for that very reason, for that quote. It's like, these are the good people standing by doing nothing. And so... I don't know if we want to turn the tide of evil. I think more people like that need to stand up and say something, do something, whatever it is, send a postcard to a political prisoner, right? It's not going to get you in trouble at work. I'm sure you can get away with it. Like it's just a postcard, just something, yeah. something small. Um, so I think that's a really important message. Um, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the role of Bitcoin and the Belarusian revolution. Um, how was it instrumental in getting around uh, the powers that be, let's say? So because the regime controls a lot, right, they control transactions. Uh, now they're actually arresting people who donated money to help political prisoners. Mm. Um, we also used, well, we have been using Bitcoin. Uh, so this is how we are able to transfer money from abroad to people inside the country. Back in 2020, we had strikes across the country in different factories. And uh, we helped those workers mm-hmm. to, to be on a strike. Mm-hmm. And because you cannot just normally send money because the regime would track it, 
we use Bitcoin, right? And many workers, like every worker, even in like small towns, was able to uh, to to kind of learn how to use Bitcoin. It was like so interesting, like uh, not only... I don't know, we have this, uh, I think, stereotype a lot that only like young people use it, but yeah. probably some others don't. Um, maybe in Belarus it, 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 it was the case, but not in 2020. So everyone learned how to use Bitcoin. Um, now, I think it's also, um, it's also the case, of course, even though this is now more used to help like the families of political prisoners, the victims of repression. There are no strikes at the moment, but still it's, it's, it's a way how to transfer money to inside the country. To to Belarus to to send you know to reach out to those people mm. who who cannot get get this money in any other way. Mm. That's great. So sounds very important because <laughs> if you shut down the flows of money, then you can shut down a revolution very quickly. I mean, that's what ha- when the freedom protest was going on in Canada. Right, the first thing they did was shut down the GoFundMe. People were funding the account, and then they did the same thing. They actually started to take criminal action against people that contributed to it. I think it was just freezing their bank accounts. Maybe it's not criminal action, but they're seizing their property because people are supporting a peaceful protest in which the most violent activity engaged in by the protesters was the honking of horns. You know, it's like people in the free world expressing their free and sovereign rights were all of a sudden censored by the state and the money was stopped, right? Through the GoFundMe and then people had to resort to Bitcoin. So it seems like there's, it's just a very important message for other people to realize is like, if you want to be able to stand up against a state, you need to have unstoppable money. Like to the extent your money is not stoppable is the extent to which your revolution largely is, is unstoppable as well. So they seem like a very important match. Um, okay. I've probably kept you long enough. Uh, are there any closing thoughts or anything any message you want to share with the world um you know words of encouragement or perhaps suggestion suggestions for action you mentioned some things earlier but um you know on this platform like what what is the message that people need to get to participate and prevent the encroachment of evil in the world So I'm going to speak about my country because that's my main focus. Uh, There are many problems in the world, of course, but um, but my voice is, you know, about Belarus. Um, I would say that now the situation is like melted iron and especially in our region. Right. And this fight that is happening in Ukraine is going to affect the entire, you know, century, I guess, the entire like continent and and other continents as well. So, of, of course, I am hoping that Ukraine will win, but I'm also hoping that Belarus will not become a trophy for Putin, mm. that he will not take Belarus as a trophy, and this is a real threat. And for me, it's like the difference between being able to come back home and never seeing home again. And I want to give hope about Belarus, right? Because I was in 2020 there, and I saw, I traveled across the country, and I saw that people who tasted freedom, want nothing else. And there is a lot of hope there and there is a lot of power. So I want the world, Europe, to give us a perspective, European perspective, to give us a supportive hand and hopefully welcome back Belarus in the European family in the future. 
the change will come. The question is whether the world is ready. So I hope that the world is ready. Beautiful. Hannah, thank you so much. Thank you. For the work that you do. Um, it's surely seems to be a worthwhile cause from my perspective. So thank you. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Go on Twitter. So it's Hannah Lubakova on Twitter, or you can just Google and find me anywhere. Okay. We will link your Twitter in the show notes. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, let's go enjoy the rest of this conference. Thank you. All right.